This episode is brought to you by Michael's Business English, the online language school for busy English language learning professionals. Learn more at michaelsbusinessenglish.com. You are listening to the International Careers Show, a podcast dedicated to supporting international students, professionals, and business owners. We'll be diving into case studies of people just like you, as well as talking to thought leaders and experts to learn more about how global citizens can navigate and achieve success all over the world. I'm your host, Michael Rincon, a former six-figure analytic consultant turned ESL instructor and career coach and the founder of Michael's Business English. Building an international career is hard work, so if you're looking for help, you're in the right place. Okay, welcome back to the International Career Show. I'm your host, Michael Rincon, and today's episode is how personal branding helps students get internships with Lynn Tran. So Lynn is a marketing and advertising student and high profile content creator with a passion for personal development. She's utilized the power of LinkedIn to build connections, grow her audience and land internships. Welcome Lynn. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be in this podcast. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background, your education, your experience? So I'm originally from Vietnam, so I moved into the U.S. and I am currently studying uh, strategic communication, and I'm currently a marketing intern at uh, Right Angle. So it's just here at a local marketing firm. And currently, in terms of experience, I'm just working on my personal project of creating content on LinkedIn and working on a personal newsletter that I could start publishing out um, pretty soon. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Good to hear about that. Can you tell us a little bit more? So you said you're from Vietnam. You moved here to the U.S. What was your experience like growing up in a new country? So when I first came over here, I was about eight. And that is the time when you're kind of still exploring. That's the time when, you know, the world still feels very new. And I don't really know, like, what's right and what's wrong that's when i'm still kind of learning and so but like everything was the same just different so the life was the same it goes on the same way but the people were different i mean they acted differently so that's more that speaks more about culture shock and it's to me it's kind of like food like you know what pork tastes like but you don't know how people are going to prepare the, the food. And so when you eat it, it's going to be a different flavor, but you you expect to know what it's going to be like. But then sometimes it's the unexpectedness that comes with it. So it's familiar yet different. And so when it comes to the culture shock, um, since it was a really learning experience, it was kind of difficult because the people over here, they speak differently. They are more reserved in certain in certain aspect. There are things that you're not supposed to do. That some things are not socially acceptable here in the U.S., but it is socially acceptable in Vietnam. And so it was really a huge learning curve for me. I mean, like I don't know if you know, but like, okay, so like as a kid, I didn't know what the water fountain was. I was really thirsty one day, and I was trying to um, go drink some water and I asked where I can drink some water and they just pointed at a metal box and I had no idea what was happening there and I just, I don't know I don't know about you but like it, a metal box doesn't seem like it would somehow contain water but apparently like you can drink water out of a metal box 
and it's called a water fountain. So, I mean, that was like very, like just small, um, just different technology, different adaptations. And, um, and I don't say, I don't, I think not a lot of people talk about this, but I mean, there's also that kind of shame that you kind of learn to have in a way, because like people look at you in a way that you're different. They're not used to you. And so I don't, um, for example, medicated oil is like this Asian thing where like you just kind of put in your body if you're in pain or something like that. And over here, people don't have that. They have ointments and they have um, lotion and they have certain just like different ways and they can't stand the smell of the medicated oil. And then there's another concept where it's like family bargaining at Walmart or Best Buy. And it's like, no, those are set price. You can't really bargain. You know, so so that was my experience. It was kind of learning what is acceptable and what is not, and understanding how to communicate with people, and learning to understand the barrier of uh, entering something new. Yeah. Wow, that was uh, that was good to know. Definitely a lot of stuff. I, I like the example you talked about with the water fountain. Um, Trying to think if I have any examples I can talk about, but um, not on the top of my head. But can you talk a little bit more, Lynn, about the shame stuff? That was interesting to me. That caught me off guard. Like I knew, like socially acceptable things, like you know, kind of like um, things that are kind of weird that people make. But mm-hmm. the shame kind of stood out to me. Like talk a little bit more about that. Is it? So it's like the. It's kind of interesting because no one really talk about that. It's the shame. So. I know for a fact, like, I was ashamed of my accent. I was, like, I didn't know I have an accent until somebody pointed out that I have an accent. And that's when you start to be, like, self-aware of your voice, your culture, your, like, something that's different about you, you know? Like, because it's, it's hard to immediately assimilate yourself into something new. You're definitely going to stand out. And and certainly, and, and, and from where I'm going, like, when I go to school, um, even in college, I mean, the majority of my classmates are not Asian. I, you kind of lack that sense of diversity. And, and then you just kind of feel like, am I, is it okay for me to do like this? Am I, is it okay for, so it, it's, there's a lot of questions that comes around with this idea of shame. Like, can I be myself in this scenario? Because honestly, as a kid, because kids don't know, you know, like, um, like they're still learning manners, right? So when I was a kid, I, People just, the kids just get disgusted by, by some things that I thought was very normal. Like, let's say, like, talk about food. And I was like, oh, yeah, we eat snails. But it's really escargot, and it's, it, 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 is, it is snails. But it's stuff like that. And they're like, ew, so gross. And, like, I had kids come up to me and, like, asking me about uh, eating dogs. And to me, I was like, I mean, okay, yes, I've seen shops. But that's not me. I don't personally eat any. But like, there's this kind of disgust that comes with that shame. And but the thing is, now the more I kind of grow, the more I understand. Like, it's just what we need. It's just awareness and understanding of different culture. And so, yeah. But I, I feel like people shouldn't be ashamed of what they are. But it can. It's so much. It's so easy to say that you know you shouldn't be ashamed. But it's a. It's different to actually feel it. And to try to hide yourself, and so I know, like when I get excited, my Asian um, accent come even stronger. Like, 
like so strong like they can understand me but by that point a lot of people would comment on how strong my Asian accent is and so I try to like tone it down and kind of speak like this maybe you I don't know how well you can hear my Asian accent right now I mean usually it's pretty noticeable but that was something I mean when I grew up I I kind of always had that shame attached but now I'm, I'm pretty I feel pretty comfortable with it though so I, I wonder if that's what other people might be experiencing too as you know somebody coming from a different country and living in a new one you know yeah thank you for mentioning the stuff about the accent and the foods i got a couple of stories so i was born in new york i was born in america and mm -hmm. when my dad uh, when i was about 10 or so my dad's company moved him to north carolina so we moved south we moved same country but different location mm -hmm. and i didn't know I had this challenge, but when I moved to North Carolina, all of a sudden I had an accent, which, you know, I don't have an accent. It turned out I have a speech impairment because I have a hearing loss, which affects my ability to speak properly. And so when I would try speaking, no one could understand me. Uh, and it was, mm. it was boom. Yeah. And so I could appreciate like a little bit. So I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but it was definitely, I, I had feelings like I shouldn't bother talking because. Mm. No one's going to hear me anyway. People are like, sometimes I start talking to someone. And especially when I got excited, what would happen is I start talking too fast. Um, and they would just walk away out of frustration because they didn't understand me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, I think that's especially true. Like, for me, when I first came over here, I didn't speak English. So, in the, like, in addition to the accent, is like, I can't communicate with the right words and the right grammar. And so... I mean, that's fascinating that in, in your case, like, that's true, like, because like, you move from New York into, like, into a different state. And, I mean, that's fascinating, isn't it? Like, how similar it is, like, even though you're in the same country. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Right. The other thing I want to point out is I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, um, but both my parents are immigrants. And in the movie, yeah, it's... One of the problems that the main character had in the story is that she came from Greece to America, and uh, I think that's where she came from. And one of the episodes, one of the scenes is that she's in the lunchroom and she's got food. And in certain countries, like in my mom's, my mom's from Armenia, uh, we have a food called moussaka, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the movie, they mentioned it. And so one of the girls asked the main character, "What are you eating?" And she's like, "I'm eating moussaka," and they misunderstood it. So you're eating moussaka? Ew. <laughs> so, yeah so like yeah like especially the food thing too because i know like some people get really disgusted with different type of food like let's say i mean certain asian eat bugs but like certain type of bugs like edible ones and i know like i mean pig's blood i mean in my uh in vietnamese food we have pig's blood i mean the concept sounds so weird but when you eat it i mean like when you were born into it, it it's very normal and it's balut I think I think that's like a sort uh, of bird egg. I don't know like how specific. I don't know the name of it, but like people get so creeped out by it. But I mean, it's it's normal. It's normalizing where you are, and so I just think like having that awareness is so important, and like and actually be prepared to um, expect people to have some sort of reaction again uh, of what you are. You know what I mean? Right. No, that's crazy. All right, let's let's get back onto the main topic though. How could how did you discover your interest in LinkedIn? How did I discover my interest in LinkedIn? So it's really more about 
it was it was actually an accident. It was um so I had the it was my part of my I needed okay, so let me go back, rewind a little bit. So for my advertising club, I mean my marketing club, I had to reach out to people and invite them as speakers. And somebody recommended that I you know, go on LinkedIn and find speakers because there are professionals there. And so I, I was just using it, right? But so I discovered LinkedIn because somebody recommended that I use it in order to contact different professionals uh, to come as speakers for our American Marketing Association. And and so, I mean, I signed up for it, but like most people, I just made a profile and then just do very little thing here and there just to get the basics in and then just look for people to invite. And I mean, I know a lot of people know Gary V and so for some reason, his content pop, popped up one day and, and I never used LinkedIn. For some reason, I was scrolling through LinkedIn that day looking for people and he, and Gary, Gary, he just said, you know, like. Uh, this is the time for you to create content and this is the time for you to add comments and create that connections, you know, and to me, I was, I didn't care about it. And so I just moved on and I, I didn't think about it again, but his words were in my mind. Fast forward to, um, after inviting the speakers, I would, I asked somebody, I mean, one of the CEO who is currently my, um, my boss right now at my intern well she told me like in order to prepare myself into working her internship i should practice copywriting like news like like maybe take classes in news writing or something and at that time my current major was i was a finance major so i didn't have any opportunity to really take a news writing course so i just thought you know why not linkedin why not let that be a way for me to create content and learn copywriting so my original like intent was to learn copywriting and also I happened to find out someone who was also trying to um make their like they want to start creating content too and I've seen them and I've seen their growth like I've saw them grow from like 500 to like 2000 or something and I was like wow that's so cool and so I contacted her and she's like okay I'm gonna start out with this uh this group like to create content like and I'm gonna hold you accountable that you're going to create content and it was a 30-day posting challenge and so it was from there that I created posts for 30 days and it completely changed my aspect like it that if anything was like a personal slash professional development that was it, it was creating content on LinkedIn for me so I hope that was uh, a good explanation for what on how I found uh, my interest in LinkedIn no, that, that's very insightful. So if I understand this correctly, that LinkedIn was an accident. You found out LinkedIn um, from a recommendation during college to complete mm-hmm. one of the assignments. And from there, you just started becoming interested because you're trying mm-hmm. to pursue copywriting experience. Yeah. So, it, yeah, so I, I like that, how it is more of an accident. I'm not actually looking for something. I think it's nice just to find what you're interested in and then just slowly slowly work your way toward that instead of like oh i have a goal my end goal is to get this amount of numbers of followers because i feel like that's the wrong way to go about it because how are you gonna get to where you're gonna get there because there's so many ways to get there but being as specific as possible on how you get there could actually 
help you get to where you want to be. That's a good point about followers. Why don't we talk on that a little bit? So not just LinkedIn, but pretty much all social media platforms, followers, subscribers, whatever you want to call it, whatever the term is in the platform, that's a very important KPI in general for a lot of people. But in your experience from your personal um, experience on LinkedIn, as well as your research from working with other people, how important do you think follower count really is? I think it depends on what kind of followers they are. I don't care. Like, honestly, I have my number, my looks. So somebody told me that my numbers, like, seemed intimidating and they didn't want to reach out to me. But in reality, like, the numbers didn't mean to me much. I'm looking at it and it feels like a ghost number. Like, the the numbers that I really care about is the people who are kind of loyal to my content are people who are actually looking forward. I mean, I've, I don't know if you've heard of this concept, but it's like a 1,000 true, um, I mean, somebody else said it was a 1,000 true fans, but to me, I'm just applying like 1,000 true supporters. Like if I can have 1,000 or like just like 100 people who just really are devoted to what I can create or any creators out there really if they just have 100 followers who are so into what they're doing i mean they are the followers are going to be advocates for the creator and to me the people that really matters to me are the people who are involved in the community and are um are just like kind of helping you i they really know you so i feel like the numbers and i and for like i've seen this in a lot of cases people can have like uh, so many followers, like 50,000, 100,000 followers. But especially on LinkedIn, when you look at their engagement, they get little engagement. For some reason, they don't get engaged that much engagement compared to like creators who have like maybe even 1,000 um, followers, right? Or like even 500. I've seen that. And their engagement is just like it blew me out of the water. Like it was just, there was just so much. And so, and that, and so that's why I kind of understand that the numbers of followers matters like nothing. What matters more is the engagement, like the likes and the comments and the shares. I feel like that's a bigger indicator of whether your content is, um, is allowing people to really react. And, um, yeah, so that's a bigger indicator for me than the amount of followers. Yeah, that's a very, thank you for sharing that, that insight. That's a good point. Like you, you, so, what, um, what you had said, for example, is that some of the people on LinkedIn, some of them have 50,000 followers, some have 100,000 followers or more, and yet their posts get little engagement. Maybe they get a few likes, especially compared. So if you had 100,000 followers, but only 10 people like it and one person comments mm-hmm. on it, like, is that good engagement or is that, like, is that questionable versus someone, like you said, has 500 to 1,000 followers and they get a lot of likes, they get a lot of comments, people share the post, people actually contribute meaningfully with a comment and say, I had this experience too, or they have more questions or whatever. That's a good insight about a follower may not be as important as engagement. Right. Because I mean, it means that they're really into what you're saying. And, and, and I feel like not a lot of people, a lot of people I don't know if you've seen, but like there's a lot of like growth hacks about like, oh, I'm trying to, let's connect and, you know, grow our numbers. And I, I don't see how that really, it, it doesn't really, it boosts your credibility, but very little compared to engagement. Engagement boosts your, like, your credibility way more 
than you know the numbers of followers you have like some people buy followers too i mean i know that's the case yeah i thought that was a thing on instagram because of instagram influence marketing like if you mm -hmm. want to work with certain brands like you have to have a certain amount of followers for just for their sake exactly right. how just for um some quick questions then how many followers do you have now and how long have you been active on linkedin so right now I have, I actually just very recently reached 7,000 followers. Okay. So, and I've used um, LinkedIn for less than a year. Um, I started last summer. So, but like later, like during like August, July or August. And so I'm, we're about to make that into uh, one year. But I suspect that if I had kept up with the consistency, so that was, I had a long break. I had a, like maybe a month or two month or even three month break with LinkedIn, but I found out like the break didn't affect me much than I thought it would have. But, um, though I suspect that if I just keep with the consistency with the creating content, I might be able to reach, um, hopefully maybe even 10,000 by the end of the year. I probably could get more if I really push the, the work, but I'm not really thinking too much about the numbers right now. I'm just thinking more about if I can engage more with and build like that genuine relationship with people, which is like where I say about like the 1,000 true supporters because that's where it's important to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I got a quick question too. So, um, how I ask this? Uh, the question I have, so, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on this podcast was that you talked about how you had used LinkedIn in your career. You actually used it to land internships. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in this case, actually, the reason why I said LinkedIn was it was because I used it as my personal project. So LinkedIn was a platform that helped me um, show my um, my work. So what what happened was like my with my first internship ever it was at Cajun Hostel and it was um yeah we at Cajun Hostel and pretty much I had I was working on building up my personal brand and by that time I had I started at 33 connections and I grew up up to 800 within um I think it was within like two months so that was a huge leap. And I saw on, you know, um, on Facebook, somebody was saying, okay, they want, they're looking for this. And actually what's fascinating is one of the requirements that they had, I didn't have that skill. And it was emphasized that it was required. And I didn't have that skill at all. That's the skill that I need to learn how to do it and apply it. And, but I just applied anyway. And I said, look, I got, and I, and I sent them an, an email. It's sort of like a cover letter, but in a very casual text. It's kind of like saying, look, I, um, increased my, um, I increased my following by this much but during this period of time, and I've received this much engagement starting from here to here. And so by that time, I understood how LinkedIn worked, and they, and they needed someone who knew how to grow their um, brand and, and grow their following. And so that's when I got that job and then the second time around I the people who I actually didn't even interview I have to be honest the second time I didn't even interview at all they simply offered it to me I, I did job shadow at their place but what surprising was that I asked to connect with them and they've seen that I trended a lot 
and it notified them that I trended and I'm pretty sure and then they, they are very much aware of my presence on LinkedIn and they saw the engagement and I think like I bring value to the company by bringing my insights on like LinkedIn engagements and so that's how I got my second internship without even interviewing because they saw that LinkedIn was a way they saw my work from LinkedIn like my writing work my so that was my copywriting and my um, my engagements pretty much yeah so I think that definitely verifies what you just mentioned earlier which is about it's not about followers it's about engagement because they didn't mention how how you're following was they they said they found you trending which has nothing which as far as we know, has nothing to do with your follower account. You trended um, despite the fact that you've only been on LinkedIn for less than a year and you only have 7,000 followers. You don't have 50,000 followers. Yet, you were able to secure two internships. Uh, the first one, you didn't meet the requirements exactly. And the second one, you didn't even apply. So, exactly. you know, wow. Yeah, so it's more about your portfolio, kind of. like. So I think student it's really important for students to have a portfolio that they can show work there like they can show their work in a way oh exactly uh, I was trying to hire um, a social media coordinator for my school last year and I mentioned please put a portfolio because I wasn't looking for entry-level employees and I had 50 candidates within 24 hours and only maybe five people had a portfolio of any kind right it, oh wow so yeah. you know, I understand like you know everyone has to start somewhere but um, you know I like I like how you talk about how LinkedIn can serve as a portfolio. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So I don't know. If, I mean, like, so uh, I don't know if many people know this, but like they have they roll out LinkedIn rolled out the feature feature, right? Like the, that you can feature your work. And so what's really cool is I'm able to feature the, my posts that get the most engagement on there, so they can see the numbers of engagements that I would get and the comments. Oh. See, so that's where I couldn't. Well, that, that's something I couldn't do before, but now I could. So I like so like find a, like a good portfolio site that you can present it and 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 use it because not a lot of people. I I don't think a lot of people have that portfolio. Though I am connected to a lot of students on LinkedIn who are very like they're go getters. So I mean, I found so much inspiration in terms of their um, web. The personal or website is amazing. And I don't have that yet. I'm still working on it. But I, right now, I have LinkedIn to serve as my current portfolio. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, it's good to know. All right. Here's my next question for you, Lynn. Uh, what roadblocks did you face early on as a college student trying to learn LinkedIn? How did you overcome them? See, the thing is, LinkedIn is still an unexplored. It's still vastly. Like, people don't talk about it as much as Facebook or Instagram. There's this, there's this still this idea of like if I tell my, I have friends who told me like, why are you on there? It's, it's boring. It's lame. It's, it's cringy. And I'm like, no, it's not because there's this idea like professionals are going to be this way and it's kind of like a stuck up, buttoned up kind of thing. It's stiff and you have to speak extremely formally and, and, and that's not the case. That's, that's what I found out. That's what, that was what I thought originally too. So, but the thing is, there's not a lot of information out there on, on LinkedIn and how it really is, unless you're already on LinkedIn, then you know. But if you're not on there, you you simply don't know. You you think it's this, um, this kind of like you expect what Twitter would be if you didn't know what Twitter is. So you, you kind of think, okay, that's what it probably is. 
but you don't really know it until you actually use it. And so, I mean, but to me, the, yeah, so the roadblock was just not having that guidance. I, so before like consulting and all the people that kind of tells you how to communicate on LinkedIn, before that, there were not a lot of people saying how to do that. So when I first started, I was really, I was kind of reject. I felt like I was rejected by a lot of people because I would personalize the request because like, oh my gosh, like these people have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand followers. That's crazy. And that's to me, that's a huge number. And I'm scared and I'm, I'm too scared to um, approach them because I don't understand how this platform works. And, and the numbers at that time amazed me. And then it really shouldn't. But right now, it, but at that time, when I first started, it really did. And so I would reach out to people who has tons of like followers and they would either not add me back or they simply like, okay, accept it, but won't respond to my um, um, personalized request or they wouldn't chat with me. So when I first started, that was all I got. So it was tons of rejections, but I, but then finally I realized I'm just talking to the wrong people. And then eventually the, I found out because like eventually I found people who were so lovely to chat to and I've learned so much and they've responded to me and they, they gave me their time. And I'm like, well, this is, this is what a community is. This is the right people. I'm in the right spot. Like people are actually responding to me because back then I, I was, I just go about it the wrong way. I was reaching out to people who was not able to provide me their time. And I understand that it's just, I was just, entering the wrong market it's kind of like trying to talk to the ceo as like an intern maybe okay. just maybe talk to like you know your 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 peer intern or your manager or your direct manager or something like that versus going straight to something like to something so big and that you can't really provide that much value to them but like you know in a way that was how i saw it at the beginning so yeah my struggle with linkedin was not find the right people but but then after finding the right people, learning how to communicate, knowing how to jump on a Zoom call and talk to them in person, that was the scariest thing ever. Nobody tells you how to talk to people um, the first time through a virtual chat, chat and they're a complete stranger to you. Like that's you don't find that on like a, an article online. Probably not. Anyway. Yeah, and it's true. Like I before consulting, I didn't. I agree. I didn't see anyone else who was really like helping college students out with LinkedIn. It was more like like the wild, wild west. So you speak. But I love that insight that you provided, which is it wasn't you. It was them. It was the wrong people. Like you connected the people, and they didn't even respond to your personalized connection. And it turned out it wasn't. It wasn't that you did something wrong. It was that these people weren't even active. Versus these other people that you found were like, oh, this is actually the community, the people who are actually interested in networking. Mm-hmm. So find the right people was very important. I, I didn't know that. And I wish I had known that. So I thought it was really cool that now you see so many students and so many professionals joining in. And I think that's partially thanks to the pandemic, right? Right. I agree about that. All right. Yeah. Lynn, where should students focus their efforts on LinkedIn if they want to succeed? Um, right now and in the future. So, let me see. I would, would, when it comes to LinkedIn, I would really work on engaging with content and talking to people. 
And okay. because that is, that's how you network, right? But like, I don't think of it as network. I think of it as building a relationship and strengthening it. And maybe to the point where they can vouch for you, like, oh, I know this person through mm-hmm. talking to them, mm-hmm. they're able to meet, provide me this value rather than like asking for someone for a job. That's, that's link, LinkedIn users number one pet peeve, asking for a job. Like we don't approach them with that kind of intention, like approach with them by like seeking to learn and, you know, asking for advice. How, what do you think I should do uh, for me to get where? Uh, you are or something like that but it's like can you give me a job a referral that that's kind of straight to the point and that's kind of over time i've talked to a lot of people and it gets really annoying for a lot of content creators and um so yeah i think networking and finding the right mentors like there are going to be people who are willing to give out advice and um and because because and really being active on linkedin is is really crucial because you're going to learn all that you need to know by being active because you're going to find insiders tips on from big companies how to apply how to work in this place i mean what should you know about uh this certain position and you and then you can create that relevant relationships that will that can help push uh your career forward so yeah, so really, if you are active on LinkedIn, you will know what you need to do, as in vamp, uh, pretty much revamp your profile, make optimize it in a way that when people look at it, they want to connect with you, and pretty much just keep talking and keep chatting with people, and and I feel like that will eventually push you to where you want to be, because there's so many, um, and actually there's a lot of um, there's a lot of companies and startups called, um, I know Access Bell and Mentorly. They okay. are, have you heard, I don't know if you heard of it. I've heard of Access Bell, but not Mentorly. So they're kind of like similar. They kind of like let you talk to professionals working in big industry, uh, okay. like big tech industry too, like, or more specific ones. And they help mentor you and they help guide you. So pretty much that's where you, want to get the advice from them because they those are the people who are open to talk to you so yeah okay good that's uh that's good to hear definitely like to hear about mentally that's a very good uh, resource i know access bell is also a, a good resource as well i looked into that as well uh my next question for you lynn um so i know you had mentioned that you started using linkedin kind of accidentally but can you tell us a little bit more about like what how did it feel like when you started writing the profile and the posts on LinkedIn. Um, what was it like the first time you did it? Like, how did was it? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Like, did you have a plan, or did you just kind of like jump in? Because, like you mentioned before, like there isn't really like a great resource on how to use LinkedIn right now. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, it was the scariest thing ever. It, it I mean, like the idea. I think the idea of it was scarier than the action itself. I I freaked myself out by. Uh, yeah, I completely freaked myself out. And so that was the actual problem, not the cre- actual creating content itself. And so, but the thing was, whenever I did it, I took up a lot of pressure from myself. I just did it. Because before, when I had so much, when I added so much pressure on myself, I didn't create that content at all. But there was just one day where I just like, oh, why not? I, I don't see why not. And I just typed and I just did it and I sent it. And honestly, if I look back, it, it, it kind of sucks. Like the stuff, the first 
posts I make. I mean, it, it's not what I am, what I post right now. But I mean, I needed to do that in order to get to where I am right now. So I'm very glad I did that. But honestly, even to this day, I still get very nervous posting content. But that's okay because I'm actually comfortable with being nervous. If you know what I mean, it's it's kind of like, like I know I'm gonna be nervous because it's just like um, like I know like how some people like they still get nervous performing even though they perform all the time. It's it's kind of that that kind of cheddar when you send a post, and I mean you kind of get used to that feeling and you know what to expect. But um, a lot of people are afraid to be vulnerable on a, a platform that is considered professional, quote, quote professional, right. because professional that means you're not being, you're not, you're not supposed to be personal. You're not supposed to be talking about what you named your dog this week, you know. Right. So that, that, that's what they were thinking. But this kind of vulnerability, that's not the kind of vulnerability that people would. Okay, let me think about this one. So. <laughs> Vulnerability is kind of showing that, okay, I'm professional and I don't feel prepared to uh, do something like this. And then you send it out and then people can relate with your content. They're like, yeah, I don't feel prepared doing the certain task either because blah, blah, blah. So just saying how you feel in terms of your professional and personal development that's very relevant on LinkedIn and that's gonna uh, get people's reaction because you're sh- you're kind of like sharing with a friend in a way but on a deeper level like you're you're talking about a deep subject like okay I have anxiety and I have fear when creating a post and I and I, I made a post about that too and and but I do it anyway just because like I found I have a purpose and it's not motivated by um, a number and expectation of what I want on terms of engagement, but my purpose is to be able to share and maybe, you know, give some people certain, like the voice, like people, like recently I wrote about having ADHD and right. the vulnerability is, and what scared me was, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how I can do this in terms of a professional, like, is it going to affect my career? Like, I'm, I'm so forgetful all the time. I, and, and I kind of share that. And like, after I post that, the, it went like, you know, the engagement was like, it blew me away. I was so surprised that a lot of people can relate to that. And I had people personally message me on the side and say like, I have it too. And I, I know what you're feeling. And I, it really resonated with me. And that kind of content is really going to help. And that's what I mean by vulnerable and being personal about what you post. So, yeah. Wow. That was, that was good. I love how you explained um, how you're still nervous a year later. And I, I know what you're talking about when you say that people still get nervous. Uh, I've studied um, a lot of socializing and communication stuff and, if you follow any celebrity, any musician, you'll find out that a lot of them still get nervous before a big show, uh, up mm-hmm. until they actually get on stage. So it's, um, you know, good to know it's that it's, you know, it's not about getting rid of it. It's more about getting comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that. I, like, I was surprised to find that out when I read an article on like this certain celebrity who, you know, have concert and they still get nervous. I'm like, well, if somebody who has so much experience in performing you know, gets nervous, then I don't see why, you know, I can't also have that feeling even though I'm experienced. 
All right, Lynn, what final thoughts do you have to help motivate students to get started, go to the next level with LinkedIn? A lot of students, you know, only a handful of students are still posting. And we've seen the power of LinkedIn just, just from your case studies. If you will go on LinkedIn, I think you can find plenty of other case studies of students who tried and they got some results. What can you, what can students do right now to get started? I think the first step is actually know what you want to achieve with LinkedIn. As in, what's your end goal? Because it's really important to map that end goal so that, like, if you know your destination, you can map your way there. You can, like, find ways to get there. Because if you're kind of using LinkedIn, sort of, like, roaming and kind of doing it aimlessly, you're not using the best of what the platform can offer. So, I mean, for me right now, my goal is to um, learn to copyright and just connecting with people and so that is my goal and so in order for me to connect with people I have to create content that resonate with people so that they so that we can chat more on deeper stuff and really create that genuine relationship but if your goal is to work at a certain company well okay now you know your goal you can start mapping your way there okay so I need to make my profile kind of favorable to the company I want to work at and then I would want to chat with the people at um Maybe a manager. It doesn't have to be a recruiter because a recruiter they get messages all the time, and but like really talk to like the manager, people who has like decision making um, ability, or actually find some alumni. If you go to a certain college, maybe you can find some alumni from there, and they are way more willing to help you because they have a reason. They're like, oh, we have something in similar, and so to me, for students to get where they want to be, in my opinion is to know where you want to go first. And then somehow, some way you're gonna get there with enough purpose and enough motivation for you to figure it out. You're, you're gonna get there through creative means because there's no exact path that's gonna um, be the same for everyone. So, and so that's it. And then and the thing is you never know what's gonna happen once you enter that path. And I think that's the exciting part. So to me, I'm very excited to know what I'm going to achieve and get out of LinkedIn. And I'm very excited. So I hope other people will also find that excitement whenever they um, go to an unknown territory, but they get to figure things out as they go along. So, yeah. That's good. I love how you, you put out a step-by-step, -step, especially the importance of thinking about your end goal and how when you write your profile, you want to think about the ideal employer Right. So if you're, you know, which employer, at least the, the industry or the type of work you want to do, you're going to reframe your profile. You're going to write it with the mindset of this uh, trying to attract a certain type of employer and not just random people. Yep, certainly. Wow, you, you summed it up way better than I did. Definitely. Okay. Uh, Lynn, uh, how can people get in touch with you? So, I mean, they can definitely uh, look me up on LinkedIn. I mean, my name is Lynn T. Tran, so um, actually, LinkedIn.com slash I-N slash L-I-N-H-T-U-T-R-A-N. So they can always message me, maybe through a personalized request if we're not connected. And I, I accept, like, a lot of, I accept all personalized requests because, like, they take the time to really get to, like, know what I can offer and what they actually want to talk to me about. And so, yeah, so I'm always open. I'm also working on publishing a um, 
a newsletter, and I haven't decided the name yet. But once it's out there, I mean, if you if they subscribe and they respond to the um and they reply to the mail, like I'll get right back to them because that's how they're gonna get my attention. And I think that's really the secret to the industry is to go into where there's not a lot of attention, so that you are the only one who gets that attention. So I don't know if that makes sense, but. So yeah, so that's pretty much it. So if you want to contact me, I'm going to be on LinkedIn all the time. I'll, I'll be on there. Okay. All right. I'll make sure to put this information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lynn, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the International Career Show. For all the show notes and resources listed for this episode, head over to michaelsbusinessenglish.com forward slash podcast. If you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you liked so we can continue improving the show. If you'd like to interact with me and other fans of the show, join our private community. Check the show notes for details on how to get in. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is your host, Michael Rincon, signing off.